food bloggers. Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, the podcast for food bloggers looking for the value and confidence that will move the needle forward in your businesses. This episode is a special one, so special that I'm not even going to number it. And in fact, deeming it as a bonus episode, I think this is the first bonus episode I've ever done. My guest today is Peter Taunton, and I will read through his bio in a bit. My husband and I had the honor of meeting Peter in person in April of this year, and we were both blown away by his success, his kindness, his knowledge, and most of all, his humility. I feel so extremely grateful that he agreed to be on my podcast. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Peter founded one of the largest wellness brands in the world with over 6,000 franchises or licenses across three brands in 28 countries, Lyft Brands. He's also the 2010 Ernst and Young Entrepreneur of the Year. Peter is currently a Forbes Masterclass instructor at the Forbes School of Business. Peter's business accomplishments have been well recognized by the business community. He and his companies have been featured in many business and industry publications such as Forbes, Entrepreneur 500, Inc. 5000, Top Global, and Franchise 500. He also wrote a number one best-selling book sold on Amazon called Impossible Hill, which shares 30 years of real-life stories laying out the mindset that helped Peter build his business empire. He is ever committed to coaching and inspiring people in both their business and personal lives as they navigate through life, striving to light the fire within and make their impossible dreams possible. Welcome, Peter. It is such an honor to have this chat with you today. I know. Okay, so I this is how I start every one of my interviews. I am going to um, not give you any prep for this, but Sorry. I like to ask people for a fun fact about themselves. So something that maybe is not widely known about you, something fun that is, I don't know, it can or yeah. cannot be related to business. It's totally yeah. up to you. Sure. Oh, I've got one for sure. All right, let's hear it. My fun fact is I've never used a cash machine in my life. I've never used an ATM machine in my life. Oh, and you've never used an ATM machine? Ever in my life. In fact, when I go into the bank, they always ask me, what's my PIN number? And I say, I don't have a PIN number. And they go, well, everybody has a PIN number. I go, no, I, I don't. What would you need one for? She goes, well, if you ever use an ATM machine. I said, I've never used an ATM machine. <laughs> they go, you've got to be kidding me. I said, no, I've, I never have. That's impressive. So you must right? just, do you just get your money out of the bank and plan yeah, ahead? You or? know what? If I, if, if people owe me money, I tell them pay me in cash. I mean, honestly, I tell them ah, pay me in cash. So ah. I've always got, I've always got cash. I always have had cash and, you know, so it's, I've never needed it. Wow. If I did, I would just go to a, go to a bank and, and, yeah. and grab it, I guess. Right. Oh, I love that. Okay. I've never gotten that fun fact. So that's yeah. great. Right and up. then my husband, Dan, and I are huge fans of yours. So we follow you on Instagram. And um, he was just mentioning this morning that I needed to ask you about your cooking class in Italy. Since you're talking to food bloggers, we're interested in hearing how that went. Any right. fun takeaways from that? You know what? I mean, it, we had my girlfriend and I had a, a, a great time and, and the people there were so inviting. It was just, it was a husband and wife and then, and then the two of us, or just four of us. And they had this amazing setup in this, in this cabana trellis type setup, a full outdoor kitchen area. So it was very comforting and inviting. And this particular couple had not only um, amazing cooks, but they had their own gardens. Everything was picked fresh. Wow. And they had their own, 
vineyard. So they not uh, they produce their own wine, and it, it was just really an all inclusive. So I have, I really appreciated the vertical integration that they had mm. of all of, and they really brought the garden to the table mentality. It was really cool to experience that. But as as always, I mean, the pasta over there is next level, right? And and I don't, I don't know if it's in the flour. Um, that they use for their, I have no idea why it's so non-filling, you know, it's not so heavy and it tastes fantastic. I can't figure it out. Maybe, maybe it's <laughs> a question for you. Yeah. Oh, I don't know the answer, but I do know a few food bloggers who are just like true Italian cooks. So yeah. I'm sure they would know. I wonder why, that. I wonder why, and maybe you can, but I wonder why we can't seem to buy fresh pasta like that here, you know, right. where they're, I mean, why you can't get that feel here. Right. And you always hear that people with gluten intolerances can eat the pasta over in Italy. So I always wonder why that is as well. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. But it was, I, I need, we, we had an amazing time. They were very good. gracious hosts. We had some great laughs and it was, it was fun. We, I, I enjoyed it. Highly good. recommended. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, okay, we want to glean some wisdom from you, Peter. You are so accomplished and successful in so many stretches of the imagination. Um, I just love your story because you come from humble beginnings and you always thought, like, I have your book here, Impossible oh. Hill. Yeah, thank and you. And we've read through it a couple of times. And one thing that you talk about a lot is that how, that you have built your success from the ground up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would love to ask you, do you have any tips for sticking with a project that you want to turn into a business? Because I think that sticking with it is a huge, I mean, it's a necessity if you want to be successful. So can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. You know, it's so important. I I get this question asked all the time. People, people love the idea of being an entrepreneur and, and, and I do as well. They love that thought, the mindset of being their own boss. And, and some people have a little bit skewed perspective on that because they, they feel that, being their own boss means they pick their own hours. Um, they golf more, they fish more, and they squeeze in work when they, in between their free time. And really, I mean, if you're really going to commit to it, the first thing going into a business is you have to plan for the worst and hope for the best. And I think that's going into any situation with your eyes open. That way, you don't feel blindsided if it takes more time than you thought it was going to. I've said this before, Steve Jobs said it best, you know, going into business, you've got to be a little bit crazy because you're, (laughs) it it costs twice as much as you thought it takes, you know, three times as much time as you ever thought it would. It's stressful as ever. And even with all those things in, in coming into play, you've got a nine out of 10 chance of failing. So I think, you know, you don't, that, that's not a, a doom and gloom for me. I share that little narrative because I, I want people to be prepared that, Going into business is one thing, but winning in business is another. And that's, and that's where I come into play. My job is to, is to set people up to win in business. And the first thing that I ask people, you know what, I, are you mentally prepared for it? Are you ready for the battle? Because it's not all kittens, balloons, and butterflies. It's hard work. And, and you gotta be, you gotta be able to, to commit yourself to it. Committing takes discipline and accountability. And let's face it. I mean, if you if you don't have discipline, you, you don't hold yourself accountable to any standard. Okay, so discipline, accountability, and, and the third piece of it is perspective. 
um, many people lack perspective. And the reason that third word is so critical is it, um, it gives people an understanding of just how long it can take. Winning takes a long time. Winning is not a straight line up and to the right. It's ups and downs and peaks and valleys and trials and tribulations. That's for everyone. And and honestly, for, for someone to say, yeah, I got into business and, and it was always up and to the right and not stressful, it's truly an anomaly. If it's if it's in fact the truth, it's really an an, an anomaly. And um, what I will what I will tell people is, you know, winning in business, um, the the challenges in business, just like in life, are that's where all the gold is. I mean, learning from your mistakes and making sure that the mistakes that you make are not crippling. In other words, don't don't bet the farm. Okay, mm-hmm. when you're getting into business, don't swing for the fences. Have a have a strategic plan of growth, and set. You know, it's okay. And I and in fact, I talk about this in my book, uh, Impossible Hill. I talk about setting that that north star, mm-hmm. that north star, that goal of where do I want to be three years from now, and set your goals lofty. I I would say, you know what, anyone can be an all star if you set the bar at your ankles, right? Put a lofty goal out there for yourself, some some real some real you know push goals, but then make sure that you set milestones along the way. And the reason that's so important is if all you're doing is looking at that north star that's way off in the distance, sometimes you're going to feel like you're standing still, and that becomes discouraging. If you set these milestones, just like it can become discouraging, it can be very encouraging. If you see that you're hitting these little goals and you are moving the ball down the field, it's so important because the mindset is 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 equally as important as the other side of winning in business, which is having having a capital, you know, having the right amount of capital to get into your business. Okay, so I love your North Star um, concept that you talk about in the book. And I try to keep that in mind a lot, but I struggle with like how you say be lofty, but how lofty, what if it's like something that's just so out of reach and the milestones aren't quite getting you there? Do you readjust? And yeah, I just never know like the balance between being lofty and being reasonable. You know what, Megan, that's a great question that you bring up. And and many people that I, that I consult with and coach, they set lofty goals. And sometimes the goals are not necessarily realistic goals. So what I try to do for them is, is, is pull them back. And I'm not the one to throw a wet blanket on it, but I'm, I bring the, I bring a level of practicality. I bring a voice of reason to it. And that voice of reason that I bring, it comes from 30 years of being in business of the practical, the practicality, the road rash that comes with winning. So I try to reel them in a little bit and say, look, you know what, that's a lofty goal. That's great. But even if you got it to this point, that's a huge win. That's a huge undertaking. You know what I mean? So maybe let's put our first goal here. And then once we get there, there's nothing wrong with setting another goal. Okay. But let's get something that that we feel is in reach. And then let's create a strategy to get there. I know as we're talking, you want to get to there. But for me, real life, my first goal, it took me 20 years to get there. Mm-hmm. And had I known it was going to take 20 years, I would have quit. Honestly, <laughs> I would have said, no way, I'm going to do something else. Right. But the fight took that long. Now, I was winning along the way. And those little wins 
kept me motivated and inspired. And it was through that inspiration of winning that kept my nose to the grindstone. What was your first goal that took you 20 years to get to? Well, I had, a, I had an opportunity to turn around a failing health club. And believe it or not, my salary was $16,000 a year. But the owners of this health club said, hey, look, if you can turn this club around. Now, the club was losing over $200,000 a year, just cash flow, straight up losing two hundred grand a year. They said, if you can turn this club around, we'll let you buy us out with the profits. And for me, many people say, Peter, why would you ever have done that? I mean, they paid you $16,000 a year. The club was losing $200,000. Why would you do that? I mean, that's like a lose-lose. But for me, I didn't. I had nothing. I had nothing going. So I, I just looked at that, and all I saw was opportunity. I didn't see what they had done to get to do what they're doing that was so wrong, that was not winning. Now, I happen to know a little bit about the business because it, it was a health club that I, that I grew up in. And I knew that they lacked marketing. I knew that they lacked passion. I knew that they lacked customer service, cleanliness, all the basic block and tackling of what it takes to get people to appreciate you in business. Mm -hmm. So when I, when I, my first day on the job, that's exactly what I did. I implemented the things that I knew were blatantly wrong that needed to be fixed. And that's what I focused on. And fortunately for me, my guess was right. The people, the customers appreciated what I was doing. Even though there were small things, we didn't have a budget. I wasn't going out and buying a bunch of new equipment because there was no budget. Okay. The club was losing money, but they appreciated my, my extra effort to keep the club clean, keep the, keep the equipment in as good of working order as I could. But most importantly, treat the customer with love and respect, which made them feel appreciated. Like they knew that I appreciated their hard-earned money spent on my club. And that made all the difference in the world. That's a huge piece of it right there is how you treat people. And that goes a long, long way. It's true in everything. And, and you know what? I, I see it in business all the time. People think that they're going to bring this new business into a market. And they say, hey, Peter, this market, it lacks any competition. The only competition is there. It's been this one business. They've been there for the last 25 years. They're tired. They're dilapidated. We're just going to go in there. We're going to crush them. And I always tell them, never underestimate the loyalty that that customer base might have. It, because it's not so much what's in those four walls. It's the community and culture that that owner has created with his customer base. Mm -hmm. He goes above and beyond. And that's not easily uprooted. And many, many times people miss that element of customer loyalty, especially when you have a a, uh, the hometown hero running the business who's been a part of that community forever and you think you're going to come in and just kind of wipe them off the mat. It, it, it never works as, as easy as, as you think. Yeah. You touched on mindset a little bit and I know you're a huge believer in just um, implementing positivity into a business and into your life really. Um, so can you talk about that, how a mindset can affect your business either positively or negatively? Yeah, you know what? I was doing an interview here. This is a couple couple of months ago, and somebody said, "Peter, what's your thoughts about manifesting? You know, manifestation." And and I said, "Well, I think to an extent, it's a little bit bullshit." Right? <laughs> and and I and I tell you, and then I prefaced it by saying, "Hey, look, it's it's a little bit BS. 
because so many people think they sit back and go, some people say, oh, Peter, just dream it and it'll come. It just doesn't work that way. Okay. I'm all about visualizing it. I'm all about that. Don't get me wrong. Visualize it. Okay. See it. See yourself there. I get it. Second step, let's create a plan. Let's create a plan of action, just like we spoke about earlier. The third piece is the most important one. You've got to make the jump. Mm. And there's so many times that I talk to people, they go to all of this effort. They visualize it. They create this elaborate plan. They put milestones along the way. They've done everything right. But the one thing they never did was the most important piece. They made the jump. And, and that's where t- that's the courage. That's where it takes courage because it can be a little bit nerve wracking making that jump, whatever it might be, whether you're jumping out of a relationship, whether you're jumping into a new job, into a new business, all of those things are nerve wracking, perfectly normal. Why? Because you're doing something you haven't done. That's going to bring anyone a moment of pause. But the moment of pause, it's not divine intervention. It's just a natural reaction of doing something you've never done before. That doesn't mean don't do it. Do you know what I mean? People mm-hmm. say, oh, that's divine intervention. No, it's not. You're just nervous. So take a deep breath. You've got this. Now let's go. Okay. And and still, even with all those, those hoorah moments with people trying to get them to make the jump, at the end of the day, they've got to make the jump because I'm not going to make the jump for them. Right. And, you know, you can try, you can say all the things you want to, and I'm, and I can't give you a, a future of, of no uncertainty because none of us have that. Mm. Okay. So it's going to be uncertain, but learn to embrace that uncertainty. That doesn't make it wrong. Just have the stomach for it and just understand it's perfectly natural, perfectly normal. You're not different. You're not, you haven't been dealt a bad hand. Every business goes through some of this stuff and that's part of the, that's part of the ride and learn to embrace it and enjoy it. That is gold right there. I love that because it is hard being an entrepreneur. A lot of our lives are uncertain, especially when a pandemic rolls around and blindsides us. I mean, you know that better than anyone, right? With Snap Fitness and in-person fitness center, I'm sure that wildly impacted your business. It did. I mean, at one point, I mean, we had thousands, thousands of our clubs closed around the world. We're in 28 countries, thousands. I mean, at one point in time, every door was locked and it wasn't by, you didn't have a choice. You couldn't unlock your door and say, look, I'm just going to unlock my door and I'm just going to freewheel it here. It was not, it was government mandated. So you had no choice. And when your doors aren't open, you can't charge your customers you can't charge your customers. Now you have no revenue. If I don't have any revenue, if my franchisees don't have any revenue coming in, I can't hardly charge them the royalty that, that we deserve. So it just trickled right down the line. We didn't, they didn't charge their customers. We didn't charge royalties. So everybody sat in this holding pattern and it literally cost us north of $10, 15000000 million. Wow. Really, it was legit, legitimate cash going out the door with no chance of recovery just to keep the lights on just to keep our corporate staff employed it was it was a tough time very tough how did you deal with that mentally that had to be draining or worrisome i don't know did, well, you, did you it was it was worrisome <laughs> no you know what it was very worrisome very concerning but fortunately for us we had 
we had bankers, our bankers, you know, participated in that, in that, um, you know, uncertainty and challenging times. What we were feeling was being felt across the entire country. Every business owner that was serving the public um, was experiencing the same thing we were. So all of us were in it together. If there's any silver lining in those, in that time, it was that we were all in it together and we knew that there had to be a solution. It was not, we were not going to find our way out of it without some financial help from government and our bankers. It's, and, and fortunately, everyone stepped up. Had they not, I mean, we stepped up, the bankers stepped up, government stepped up, and had they not done that, I mean, it would have been, it would have been, it would have decimated, I mean, this country like you can't imagine. It was, yeah. it was a really tough time. Are, how is Snap Fitness doing now? Have you guys recovered? Are you yeah. back in full force? Yep, we're back. All of our stores are open. Business is good. We're selling franchises, opening stores, but it'll take it'll take a while to get back to where we were pre-COVID. Yeah. Um, just because you know when you're when you're out of the game for you know two years essentially of just one mandate, you know, mask. If it wasn't if it wasn't the damn mask, it was you know trying to police vaccinations. It was just absolutely, mm-hmm. and it got to the point where it was absolutely ridiculous i mean oh my gosh good for you for rolling with that i, I cannot imagine having an in-person business that you had to manage through that time it just it was it was so frustrating you can't megan you can't imagine i mean it was so it was yeah. frustrating for us at the at the corporate level it was frustrating for every one of our franchisees and everybody quite honestly was completely fed up with it. So I was in Puerto Rico. I met you in Puerto Rico actually. And you had mentioned it there. And Dan and I were like, what is the Snotica Bulls thing? Because you mentioned it was in the Twin Cities. We looked it up. We've been going every week since. It is so delicious. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about Nautical Bulls. Yeah. So not you know when I I I got involved with that company a couple of years ago now, um just just meeting the, the two founders and uh, to make a long story short, I, I'm equal equal partners w- with, with the two founders, uh, created a franchise concept around this concept, made a few changes to it, but um, and then rolled it out. What I loved about it is the relevance of the product. And, and, and this is good for, for all of your listeners and followers that, look, if you're going to get into business, if you're going to try to build a business out of your um, blog, your food blogs, okay, if that's, where, if that's the path you want to head down, you have to almost think of it like I did. I said, okay, if I'm going to be in the acai bowl space, how do I thin myself from the herd? Because it's so important that you can separate yourself from everyone else that's doing what you do. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was, what is my bowl? Well, my bowl, it's going to be plant-based. It's going to be dairy-free. It's going to be gluten-free. And by the way, it's organic and no refined sugar. So for me, I had no desire. I'm not serving sugar bombs. Okay. I'm not dessert. I don't compete with Ben and Jerry's. I serve acai bowls, which is a meal replacement. Okay. My bowls are full of superfoods. So, mm-hmm. and the relevance of it is right. What I, what I, what I mentioned, just plant-based dairy-free, gluten-free, just those three, anybody who's leaning down a path of making the healthier eating choices. Those are the first three things they move to. Okay. Now, the fact that I'm organic and no refined sugar is just the cherry on top to what is already the right product, okay? 
So I knew I had the right product. I knew the product had to taste great. So it tastes great. It looks great. The flavor, the texture. So I knew that's my go to market. That's my strategy. I'm not going to serve smoothies. And, and many of our competitors, they serve acai bowls, smoothies, avocado toast, salads. That's not us. We All we do is acai bowls and we do it better than anyone else. The fact that we're so streamlined allows us to go into a 750 to 1200 square foot space. I just take a small little space and just serve the best bowl on the planet. It's healthy. It's superfood. And I always tell people, hey, look, it's not what you take in the front door. It's what you take out the back door. Because people say, how much money are you making? Well, who cares how much money you're making? If I make 100 grand a month and my operating expenses are 95,000 a month, I've got one foot on a banana peel. Do you, do you know what I mean? Anything goes sideways there. I'm upside down. So I tell people all the time, and I don't care if I'm talking health clubs, you know, my 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 core business growing up and, and for the last 30 years, I don't care if it's acai bowls or, or gyms, right? The reality of it is, I don't care what you take in the front door, it's what you take out the back door. Our businesses are very profitable. They're very simple. They're very relevant. And that's what I do. I mean, let's face it, in the last, in less than a year, I've awarded over a hundred territories and I've got by, by Christmas, I'll have, I should have 40 to 45 stores open and I should have awarded probably 150 or so territories by, by Christmas. Wow. Yeah. So we're well, we're well on our way. It's no surprise to me. This is exactly what we set out to do. And, and next year I should, I, I hope to open 80 new stores. So by the end of 2023, I should have 120 stores open. And I should have roughly 250 licenses sold. It's my goal. So how do you discern what is going to be a success and what is not? After so many years of being in business, I'm sure you have like little things that yeah. kind of tell you yes or no. Yeah, it's, it's, it's relevance. It's product relevance. And I, gotta, I always make sure for me that it's not, it's, not, it's not a little pet project of mine. Okay. And I see this for... Oh, I mean, honestly, I, I've, I've had the privilege of, of meeting so many amazing people over the years since I've been consulting. And look, it's I, I admire people's passion for what they're what they do. And and no one no one likes to hear their babies ugly. But <laughs> that's my job. My job is to say, hey, look, I love what you're doing here. But this is your this is your baby. You are the business. Okay. There's no scale to it. If I pull you out of this business, there's no scale to it. So you are the business. That just that doesn't make the business wrong, but it's going to be very difficult unless we make some dramatic changes to this business to make it scalable without you, you know, being the glue to this business. So for me, I look at is the product relevant? Yes, it is. Is it scalable? Meaning, can I put one here and one in California and one in Texas? And can I keep the consistency of the product the same? Do I have distribution? Do I have all these? So these are all things that I think about if I'm going to get into franchising. Okay. And that's what I'll do. I'll look at businesses all the time and I'll say, look, this is a business we can franchise it, but we're going to need to make some changes to it. And most of the time people listen to it. Yeah. So does that does that carry over? Do you feel like to an online business like food blogging, where we we aren't necessarily franchised, but I feel like a lot of us are our businesses. Really, we are our brands. So, how does that is that different? Or? If I were going to be in a, if I were going to be a food blogger, 
Okay. Going into a space where there's a lot of it. Okay. There's millions of you out there. Yeah. Okay. If it were me, I would try to say, here's what I like. I would, I would put my profile out there saying, this is who Peter Taunton is. These are the things that I like. And these are the things that I look for. So then what am I doing? I'm trying to get people to relate to me saying, look, you know what? I like the same things Peter likes. Okay. So for instance, some people love, you know, very rich French cuisine. Okay. And they, that might be their, that might be their sweet spot. And other people like um, Midwestern comfort food. Okay. Mm-hmm. More relaxed atmosphere, bigger portions, uh, good value, great flavor, good value, good atmosphere, you know, laid back atmosphere. I can roll in there with a t-shirt and faded jeans and be perfectly comfortable. Okay. So I would, I would create this profile of who I am and what I look for. And then once I've created that profile, then I would go into the open marketplace and say, look, I'm not just another foodie. I'm not for everyone. This is what I, this is what I look for. This is what I love. And this is what I'm going to bring to you. I'm going to bring you greatness within the wheelhouse of what I love. And that's what you love. Okay. Give me my car and she thinks I don't know. Oh, cute. <laughs> oh, cute puppy. Yeah, she's my my gardener's leaving, and she's uh, oh, and yeah. she's apparently running down the driveway after. Oh my gosh! <laughs> stay so safe. she's got to stay inside for a little. <laughs> so that's what that's what I would look for. That's what I would yeah. look for is you know I would create my own my own uh, you know chapter of people that are, my own followers, and that's going to be great because if if you can. If you do that, if you can create that fraternity of people who who love what you love, now you've got really dedicated, committed followers because they love exactly what you're doing. They love what you're about. And they know everything that you're going to show them is rich in value. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And that's what we call it niching down. And that's become more evident than ever that we need to do this because when you don't niche down, you are talking to everybody. And when you're talking to everybody, you're talking to nobody. That's exactly right. Right. That's that You're exactly right, Megan. That's exactly right. When you try to be everything to everyone, I don't care if it's blogging or business. If you're trying to be everything to everyone, that's a, that's a no win situation. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, Okay. I want to ask you about streamlining because I know that systems and processes are huge for you. You really believe in streamlining in order to be more efficient and successful. So I would love to hear more about that. Well, you know what? I think having systems and processes and streamline, whatever it is objectively, whatever you're trying to accomplish, okay? Whatever that is, you need to look at what are the material things that I need to do to move the ball? What are those things that are going to be critical? And you have to you have to identify what those things are and and then create a plan of action a course of action i mean for me when i'm starting a business or starting a franchise whatever it might be i know what the big movers are and those are the places i go first because i don't have to work i don't have to worry about the granular detail of things until i accomplish the big movers okay so i look at the big movers and if i can check those boxes then i take it down to the next level you know distribution you know, how the, the, the flow of, of, of inventory, um, quality control, some of these things, then the training of the staff, 
how much cash is going to be required to actually execute or launch this business. So all of these things become part of the equation. Each one of those are layers. And I look at it in layers because if I try to look at it all at once, it's it almost becomes blurry. Mm-hmm. So you got to dissect it a little bit, look at each one and make sure that you can check the box without without stretching, you know, what's possible and what isn't. You know what? You can't build a business on Hail Mary's. And so many times I see people, they create this business model and they don't take into consideration enough things that if anything goes sideways, they feel like they're completely blindsided. Why? Because they failed to plan for it. They failed to forecast any of that resistance that comes with starting a business. That's the problem. Mm. That was so well said. I love how you said that if you try to look at it as a whole, that it becomes blurry. You've got to break things down piece by piece. Break it down. I mean, which means, you know what, you you have to have, you have to be cognizant of what the big picture looks like. Okay. You got to be able to visualize that. That's why being an entrepreneur, you've got to be able to visualize the big picture of what exactly it is that you want to bring to market. How are you going to execute this business and bring value? Because it, it, it takes more than just bringing the business to market. You've got to execute at a high level. If you don't execute at a high level, people aren't going to support your business, okay? Because there's so much competition out there, and I don't care what it is. There's competition everywhere, and and some competition is – some people perform at higher levels than others. Let's face it, okay? So, depending, once again, what standard do I want to go to the market in? You know, you look at Kmart as an example. Kmart's not Target, okay? Walmart's not Target. They would argue, okay, it's it's probably Kmart, Walmart, Target. Okay. Target would like to think that they're a higher end version of, of Walmart. Okay. Walmart would like to argue that. But this, you know, from my perspective, from my perception, as I look at their strategies, um, Target is, slight, is slightly above it, just like Costco and Sam's Club. Okay. Costco has better merchandising, better products, um, and, and they both do well. Don't get me wrong, but I but but it's I think it's two different customers. Hmm. That's really interesting to hear that perspective. And I don't often talk about. I mean, I get we get so immersed in our little niches. Like food blogging is my world. So I I love hearing you know like other business conversations. It's really interesting for me. And you, and you know what, Megan? It, it, I mean, food blogging is your business, and your business. What are you selling? You're selling knowledge and insight. That's what you're selling. All right. I'm I'm going to your blog if I want to learn about whatever it is that you're pitching, whatever your area of expertise is. If your area of expertise, as I said before, if it's if it's fine French cuisine, if it's you know comfort food, is it desserts? Is it Mexican? Is it Italian? Look, whatever your niche is then that's what that's if i if it relates to me if it's if it's relatable to what i'm looking for i'm going to pop my head in there and i'm going to look around see what see what you've got see what you're saying look for your suggestions yeah and it's and it's so critical that you're on point with what you're writing because as soon as as soon as i walk into a restaurant and it's not what you said it is if you oversold it then what what's happened you've lost my trust okay you've lost my trust Therefore, you're no longer, you've lost accountability with me. And once you lose that accountability and trust with your, with your, with your, 
you know, clients, they're not coming back. Okay. And then things start, start going into the heads of your customer. They start thinking, okay, well, clearly Megan is just getting paid in the back door from, from these restaurants trying to get her to write positive blogs to drive traffic. I mean, it just, it just creates this, this ugly narrative surrounding it. Right. So knowing who you are and being consistent with your message about who you are. No question. And be, and be true to it. Be true to it. You know, even, and to me, I love it. I, I love, you know, to me, a good blogger would be, here's what I've always been about. I've always been about, uh, you know, comfort. let's just say it's comfort food. I've always been about comfort food. I grew up in the Midwest. This is what I love. I love some of these traditional di- dishes. I love a great burger. I love a good hot dish. I can appreciate that. Um, I love value. I love portion size. You know, I'm a man's man. I love to eat. I don't I don't like these dainty little servings, whatever it is that I'm going to. But then if I can say to my clients, hey, look, OK, everyone, I'm just telling you straight up. I know we've liked these other restaurants, but I went to this Mexican restaurant over here. It's a little bit different than what we've normally been talking about. But I went to it and I loved it because now I've, I'm almost like leaning in and saying, look, it's kind of a secret. I like this. And it's not something that I normally do, but I went there and we had a great time. It was good value. The portions weren't small and I would do it again. It's, it's different than what we've done, but Hey, look, everyone, let's just be real. Every now and then we need to run with scissors, right? <laughs> and so your blogger, you know, your followers that are going to go, you know what, man, I love that Megan can have some fun with this, that she trusts us to share with us. It's not all rigid She's willing to go outside the box a little bit. And that's what we love about her. That can be just as powerful if you're a blogger because you're trying to be, you want to be, you want to be able to, you want to be relatable. Okay. So important. Yeah. Well, without probably ever having looked at my blog, Peter, you just described exactly what I do. So comfort food, portion sizes, great food. I don't worry about calories and occasionally I talk about things like my favorite spicy Mexican dish or margarita. Yeah. So right <laughs> that was funny as you were talking. I'm like, huh, yeah. you just nailed it. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad. Well, it's, it's, it's great. And that's, you know, and then I'm sure that that is what your, your followers appreciate about you, that you're, you're not just, you're not so rigid in your thought process that you're, you know, as a blogger, you should be evolving too. Okay. It's, it's equally as important. Otherwise, you're just talking about the same thing. Your message becomes stale and and uh, complacent, and, mm-hmm. and that, that's not a way to continue to grow. I think, I think as a blogger, and this goes for all of your blogger followers out there, you've got to you've got to constantly be measuring yourself. And if you're if you if you truly want this to be a business, then you got to be always trying to level up, always leveling up on who are your guests that you're bringing in. You know your guest speakers. What's their what's their range of knowledge and and validation and all of those things are become part of it because the more value you can bring to your listeners, the more listeners you're going to get because you're 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 trustworthy and you're bringing nuggets of gold to them. Oh, I love that. Thank you for saying that. Yes, leveling up is a goal. Like I am always trying to level up that's why you're here today so thank you for being here you know i I say this all the time it's like a shark if a shark isn't moving it dies okay a shark never stops moving all right so you have to continually move you got to constantly be moving be thinking about 
what is my thing? And that, that doesn't have to be pressure that you're putting on yourself. That's just part of the game. Okay. And, and I think a way to get your, your head around that is saying, look, as a goal, as a person, you should be, you should be looking to, um, to, to level up in, in everything that you do. You should always be looking to learn something every day. That's just part of, of living. You know, you hear this all the time with older people. They say, man, I don't want to, I don't want to ever retire. I'll die when I retire. Look, there's some level of truth to that. It's not so much that they're going to die, but what happens is they leave what was stimulating them every day, their purpose. And, and now they get up and it, it feels like everyone else is going to school and they're staying at home. Some people never fight their way out of that. Some people never say, hey, look, I'm going to go do something else now. They just sit there and just kind of wither. It's not, it's not healthy. In today's day and age, you don't have to do that. Okay. So many people have found great occupations working from home. I mean, in, even in, in my companies, the, some of my companies, we're, we're, we probably have 30 to 40% of our staff back in the office. And if I went back to those companies and said, look, effective September 1, everybody, we're going to be back in the office full time, just like old days. I think I'd lose half my staff. No joke. I'd lose half of them. And, and that's on me because I can tell you straight up, it forced me as a business owner to embrace that the, um, the culture, the dichotomy of, of the corporate life, office lifestyle has changed. There's been a paradigm shift in that. And you no longer are going to evaluate people on how many hours they put in in the office. It's going to be more performance-based. How much work? What is, what's the trajectory of the work that they're able to complete? What's the quality of the work? What's the output of the work that they can do? And quite honestly, if you can do 30% more work on 25% of the time, who am I to, who am I to question that? And that's what people, that's, and that's where, where, where some of these CEOs and, and C-level employers have needed to make a change. They need to understand, hey, look, quit looking for people's butts to be in the seats in order for you to measure how dedicated or committed they are to the job. That's no longer relevant anymore. It's purely performance-based. And people that don't embrace that, honestly, they're long in the tooth. It's time to move them out. Yeah, I love that you are embracing that because I was just talking to some family members over the weekend who were saying that their employers were making them go back into the office and they said that like 30% of the people were gone. <laughs> they just leave. So yeah, you have to roll with that. You, you got to roll with it. You got to adopt it. I mean, that, that's the new, that's the new world. I did a bit with that for Forbes on, on, um, you know, what I, what I think the corporate lifestyle looks like in the future. In fact, with nautical bowls, I told them, look, my, my own goal, you know, my goal is to build a 200 plus million dollar company, nautical bowls, to build a two hundred plus million dollar company, and I'm going to do it without a corporate office. Mm. And they say, and I say, you watch me do it. And because you don't need the brick and mortar, that's not the validation people are looking for. Validation from my franchisees. Validation is, I'm going to show you. I'm going to. I'm going to. You're going to. You're going to pay me your hard earned money for the concept. I'm going to build out your store. I'm going to help you find a location. I'm going to build out your store. I'm going to teach you how to make a living in this space. And that's the validation. The validation you're looking for is, does the business make money? 
Are you profitable? Are you living the American dream? At the end of the day, my validation rests on the shoulders of my franchisees. I'm teaching them how to make a living. I'm teaching them how they can work and, and live the dream, be their own boss, right? That is, that is what they paid for. They paid for me to teach them how to make a great living selling acai bowls one at a time and having fun doing it. Oh my gosh. I love how you think differently, how it's not just, this is how it's always been. So I'm going to continue this. You think about new strategies and new ways of thinking around problems. I think that's, that's, that's the society that we live in. You know what? You've got to be, you've got to be a thinker and you've got to be, you've got to, you've got to have your ears and eyes open and, and, uh, and you've got to be able to pivot um, you know, when, when it's warranted and yeah. th- that's time COVID COVID exponentially speeded up this whole process of where the workplace is. I tell you what, I don't, I don't think we're terribly far. I don't think we're terribly far from a four day work week either in this country. I really don't, you know, and, and I think given the choice, I think, I think many people given the choice would rather work a, you know, four, nine hour days, you know, then, then that fifth, that fifth day. Absolutely. And I think that more and more people are, are, are understanding the value of, of, of leisure with their family, with their friends, that there can be life without work. You know, it doesn't have to be, Oh, thank God it's Friday. It just doesn't have to be this oh. grind anymore. Yes. Friday, here we go. Friday. Okay. Now I live for the weekend. You know what? It's, it's in, it, it just doesn't, it's, we, we've gotten a little bit lost in it. And it's not that everything has to be Shangri-La. Okay. Cause look, work is work and accountability and, and expectation. Look, that's all part of it. And some people are going to be overachievers and some are not, but all I'm saying is the mindset that you have to be in the office five days a week in order to be productive, in order to make an honest wage and living. Uh, that's a thing of the past, in my opinion. I love that too. My husband is cutting back. He works in the corporate world now, but he started cutting back because he's going to come into my business and help me a little bit. Um, and so now it's like that same exact thing is going on in our family where it's not, oh, thank God it's Friday, but like today's Monday and we're going to take our boys to Valley Fair and we're, you know, we're, yeah. we're enjoying every day. And I think that's how it should be for everybody. You have flexibility. You have flexibility that if you want to, if you want to take your son to Valley Fair today, you can. It might mean that you've got some commitments and obligations tonight, after, yeah. or tomorrow. Right. But you know what? It's your it's your choice to manage that within your thing. You're not you're not shunning off your responsibility of your job or what people are counting on you for. You're not saying that you're not going to do it. All you're saying is I've made blocks throughout the week when I know that I'm going to get my work done, and I've got this, and that's perfectly the way that it should be moving forward. That's exactly how I operate my business. Exactly. Yeah, you got it. (laughs) Yeah. I have one more question for you, Peter. So um, I know that you live a physically healthy life and you prioritize your physical fitness and mental health. Um, So just do you have any encouragement for us as far as like how that can bleed over into business? Absolutely. I think creating good habits is is everything and you know we spoke about this earlier and you know what does it take to win and let's face it there is no winning without discipline and accountability okay so 
it starts right there. Dis- discipline, accountability, and then vision. Vision as to how do you see yourself? How do you want to show up? Okay. So you gotta you gotta sit down in a quiet room with your with your pen in your hand and say, how do I want to show up every day as a person? Forget about your business. Just mm. who do I want to be? Okay. Uh, I mean, this is how I want to look. This is how I want to feel. And you just go through these boxes of, of how you want to show up every day. So for me, it's, I know I, I get up every day and I, I have my morning coffee and I kind of just, I kind of think about the day. I reflect a bit. Um, I don't, it's just a moment of peace for me. And it's only 15, 20 minutes for my morning coffee. And when I come down from my, from my bedroom, I have my workout clothes on. Okay. I know that after I have my coffee that I'm going to go get my workout out of the way. Why? For me, I like to just check that box. I like to get the, my physical exercise out. It clears my head. And then when I take my shower, I'm ready for the day. All right. So that's why for me, I don't start my day, my work day until 10 o'clock in the morning. Okay. So that gives me plenty of time, coffee, workout, shower, do any little odd and end things that I need to do. But 10 o'clock I'm on and I'm, and I'm on for typically from 10. And, you know, I like to, I like to wrap my day up by four o'clock. I like to, but there's sometimes I'm here till seven o'clock. I don't freak out. I mean, today is a longer day for me. It's not a big deal. It just comes with it. Mm-hmm. But then Friday might be really light. I don't, I, but I manage it. So getting into good habits. So for me, what are the things that I understand to be good for me? The, the, the working out every day, the eating healthy. Okay. Not, not that I don't ever have cheat days. I, I do. But most of the time I eat healthy. And, and when I have those cheats, the pizza, the desserts or whatever it is that I'm, that I'm having, um, I appreciate them. I don't feel any guilt at all for it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then when I get into my work environment, I'm serious and intentional about everything that I do. If I'm going to give someone my time, I'm going to be intentional with them. I'm not going to be looking at my phone. I'm not going to be looking. I'm not going to be looking at my watch. I'm going to be in the game with them, right? Because I know that's what they're looking for from me, right? So I'm, I'm very, I'm very sensitive to how I give my time and that I give them all of me when I'm giving them my time, if I can. I find, so I do the morning routine as well. I get up and work out. I find that when I don't, I debate with myself all day long about like, well, maybe I'll work out at four. No. And then four comes and I don't work out. Maybe I'll do it at seven. And it's just like unnecessary clutter in my head that doesn't need to be there. So that's the reason I just like to get it out of the way. Yeah. And you know what? When we we all have these moments, we all, like for me, there's times where I'll have a client that's in need and they'll call and, and, you know, my phone is lighting up. I take the call and I'm on it and, and, and my workout grows wings and flies away. Right. It's not <laughs> because I realize that I, I tell myself, if I don't get it done in the, in the morning, I'm not going to do it because I'll do the same thing that you're doing, Megan. It'll haunt me. It'll be like a yeah, bird chirping exactly. in my ear all day. And I've learned that that's not good for me either. I just say, Hey, look, you know what, Peter, you work out six to seven days a week, missing one day, yeah. not going to make a difference. Let it go. Okay. And that's, and I don't think about it because otherwise I'll beat myself up over it. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> and, it's, and, you, and you don't have to, it makes no difference. Right. I know that I'm going to get right back on the, on, a, on the horse tomorrow and, and get my work on it. Right. I need to adopt that because I do beat myself up all day. So I just need to 
let it go and know that I do it most days and it's okay to miss a day <laughs> once yeah, in a while. Exactly. We're, and you know what? It's great. It's great that you have that level of, of um, discipline and accountability that you're, that you're not going to let yourself off easy. All right. And, and the antithesis of that is you don't, you don't have any of those things. And, and instead of working out, you know, five to seven days a week, you work out two to three and you look at yourself like, Oh, it's the same. It's not the same. Okay. So you're going to miss a workout here and there. No big deal. It's everyone has a different level of accountability that they hold themselves to their own standard. One's not better than the other, but, but don't tell me that you're doing it every day and then, but you do it three days a week. Right. And, you know, I, I people all the time that, you know, they'll say, Peter, you know, they'll complain about something and I'll listen to them for a while. I know that I know where the truth lies. And I tell them, look, you, you can't bitch about the result if you're not willing to put in the work. Okay. So you just got to understand that's true in everything. Don't, don't complain about the result if you didn't put the work in. Yeah. So whether it's your business, oh, Peter, I work hard at my business. No, you didn't work hard at your business. You worked long at your business. That doesn't make it right. Just because you put in the time doesn't make it right. You just didn't, you didn't work smart. You didn't delegate. You didn't adopt. Okay. And, and those things are all going to play a, 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 a role in the trajectory of your business, the success of your business. Oh, such great stuff, Peter. Thank you so much. I'm extremely grateful for your time today. Thank you for taking the time for us and for just sharing all of this value with food bloggers. We appreciate you. Yeah. No, Hey, my pleasure. Uh, Great line of questions. Good luck to all your bloggers out there. Hopefully, hopefully there's a couple of nuggets of gold there uh, in in this, in this hour, but uh, I I enjoyed it. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I took the time to come join you today. Absolutely. Okay. Is there anything we can do to support you? I know you have this amazing book. Yeah. Um, you know what? Go follow me on Instagram. That's okay. it. It's really my Instagram is easy. It's Peter underscore Taunton, and that's T A U N T O N. That's my Instagram handle. Just follow me, and um, you know what? If you have questions or comments, chime in. I, I love to. I love to hear. I still. I look at my stuff every day, um, and uh, you know, chime in. I love to hear from you and, and see what what's. What's making you tick? All right. Well, thank you, Peter. I so appreciate you. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to this bonus episode, Food Bloggers. I will see you next time.